Hebrews 2, 14 to 18. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to make like them fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, uh, you know when you type something into Google, that little section appears that says, people also ask. And then you get all the questions that people have asked, or the top questions that relate to the thing that you've asked. Uh, So I I was doing a bit of research for, for this today, and I typed, how do people try to avoid death? And where it said people also ask, the top question was, uh, was this, what are the ways of preventing death? And here's how Google answered that question. It said, uh, being a non-smoker, eating a healthy diet, exercising regularly, and limiting alcohol consumption can reduce your risk of many potentially lethal diseases such as heart disease, stroke, and cancer. Uh, so the question was, what are the ways of preventing death? And the question that Google answered was, what are the ways of delaying death? Uh, Now, this shouldn't come as a surprise to us because there is no way from preventing our mortal bodies from dying. Uh, In a hundred years or so, everyone in this room will be dead. Now, that's not a very cheerful thought. And it's clearly one that bothered all those who were hoping that Google would have some kind of solution to this problem of death. Human beings fear death. And that is the thing that these verses uh, seek to address. You might say, well, how come our theme is fully human and fully God? Well, because there is only one solution to the problem of death, and uh, it doesn't come from Google. The solution which we're going to talk about is possible, possible precisely because and only because Jesus was both fully human and fully God. The first part of verse 14 says this, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. Those whom Jesus came to save are referred to as children, children of God. Does that mean every human being is a child of God? No. But every human being could be, if they put their hope and their trust in Jesus. Jesus shared in our humanity. Uh, Jesus has always existed eternally. There's never been a time when Jesus uh, wasn't there. And yet he was carried in the womb of a young woman for nine months. He was born. And birth is a wonderful thing, but in the first century, it was extremely risky uh, for both the mother and the child. Uh, there was an umbilical cord to be cut. 
And despite the lyrics from Away in a Manger, you know, the ones that go, the cattle are lowing, the poor baby. Well, I can't sing. I'm treating you because it's Christmas. <laughs> but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. No crying he makes. What a load of rubbish. I reckon Jesus screamed his head off just like every other baby does because Jesus is human. God became human, not superhuman, but human. The nativity is a beautiful scene and we cherish it. But the stark reality is that God became human so that he could die. Well, God can't die. He's eternal. He's indestructible. In order to die, God had to become human. But why did God have to die? The second part of verse 14 tells us, it says, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. Ultimately, God is in charge. God is all-powerful. We shouldn't make the mistake of thinking uh, that God and the devil are like two equal and opposite forces or powers like yin and yang. Uh, God is infinitely more powerful than the devil. But the devil is, if you like, the author of sin and death. And for the time being, God allows him to hold sway in this world. Jesus described the devil as the prince of this world. And Ephesians 2 begins like this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Of course, that's talking about the devil. So the devil is at work in the world. He's powerful, but we need not fear him. Because as it says in 1 John 4 verse 4, he who is in you, Jesus, is greater than he who is in the world. Because of Jesus, the power of sin and death is broken. And for those who give their lives to him, the devil's plan for their destruction is thwarted. 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? And what this means for us and for everyone who puts their faith in Jesus is spelled out in verse 15. We are delivered from slavery to the fear of death. So we're not just delivered from the realities of sin and death. We're also delivered from slavery to the fear of death. There are some realities, spiritual realities, that I believe everyone has an awareness of, whether it's uh, conscious or subconscious. And the first of these realities is that there is a God. Romans 1 verse 20 says this, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. In other words, we look around at the beauty and the awesomeness of this world, this universe that we live in. We look at creation and we say, this is amazing. This is amazing. There must be a creator. This has always been the case, but I would argue even more so in light of relatively recent scientific discovery. For example, the unraveling 
of the human genome. Do you know that every cell in your body contains a three billion letter mathematical sequence? It's essentially a, a very complex coded language that is necessary for there to be human life. Now, if you were to go out for a walk and you were to find a book on the ground, and you pick it up and you start thumbing through this book, you would know without any shadow of a doubt that there was an intelligent mind behind the book. Never in a million years would you think that that book had just come about by random chance, that it just happened to be there with no intelligent mind behind it. The human, geno the human genome contained in each and every one of our cells is a phenomenally complex, coded language. It's inconceivable that that came about through natural processes. Indeed, the, uh, the scientist, one of the most eminent scientists in the world, uh, the scientist responsible for the Human Genome Project, Francis Collins, reached that same conclusion. Francis Collins, who headed up this team, who uh, made this amazing discovery, he, he was brought up in an atheist household. They didn't believe in God. He didn't believe in God. He didn't really think of God. Yet he came to faith as an adult. And he's written a book about this whole subject. I'd really recommend it. Actually, there are very few atheists or agnostics in the world. Uh, they only make up about 7% of the global population. And if you consider all the human beings who have ever lived, only a tiny, tiny percentage of them have not believed in God. I think it was the Catholic theologian G.K. Chesterton who said, and I paraphrase, he said, just because a man is hungry does not mean that he will find a meal. But it does mean there is such a thing as bread. In other words, we hunger for food because it exists. And the universal human hunger for God is very strong evidence that God exists because we hunger for things that exist. So we have this innate knowledge of God. The other spiritual realities that I'm going to talk about are very unpopular, uh, even in Christian circles these days. Specifically sin, that is everything that we do and think and say that goes against God's will. So sin, guilt, punishment, death, and hell. We have an innate awareness of God, but we also have an innate awareness of our sin. The Apostle Paul wrote this, uh, Romans 12, 15, they, and by they he means the Gentiles, the non-Jews, the non-religious people. He says, they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them, and at other times even defending them. In other words, we have an inbuilt understanding of what is right and wrong. And it's the existence of God, together with this knowledge of our sin, this knowledge that we, we do stuff and think stuff and say stuff that is wrong. The combination of that gives us a fear of death because we know deep down that God will hold us accountable. And if God is just, and he is, there would have to be consequences for our wrongdoing. 
God can't look at our sin and say, oh, it doesn't matter, it's okay, don't worry about it. We might all like God to say that about our sin, but we'd be outraged if God said that to someone who had sinned against us and done us real harm. If sin and rebellion against God had no consequences, there would be no justice in the world. And deep down, we all know this, even at a subconscious level. That is why human beings are, as Paul put it in, sorry, as the writer of Hebrews put it, enslaved by their fear of death. Most people don't Google what are the ways of preventing death. In fact, we do the opposite. Most people uh, avoid uh, thinking about death or God as as um, as much as they can. They think about those things, death and God, as little as possible. One of the ways to achieve this is by filling our lives with as much noise and activity as possible so that we don't have the time or the headspace to think about the deep spiritual realities of this world. We don't slow down. We don't have times of quiet contemplation. We're constantly listening to music or the news or podcast or we got the TV on. No, no one's watching it. It's just on in the background. That this mode of being is so ingrained in our culture that certain um, influencers uh, are now claiming to have invented, wait for it, some of these influencers are claiming to have invented silent walking. I saw a report, uh, this, is, no, this is true, I saw a report, the presenter said, and a new trend on TikTok may actually have some health benefits. What's that all about? And his co-host said, okay, it's something called silent walking. Have you heard of it? It's trending on the social media app with TikTokers encouraging people to go out for a walk without earpods or headphones, without podcasts or music playing, and without walking companions. Simply walk in silence, distraction-free. Walking in silence is now so rare that there are some people out there, bless them, who actually think they've invented it. (laughs) Is it any wonder that people are not thinking about the things that are of utmost importance, the things that have to do with our eternal destiny? Many would say, oh, that's boring. Or it's no fun to think about those things. Oh, that's too heavy. It's too, don't be so serious. Lighten up. You can say those things, but you've still got all of that hanging over you unresolved. And for anyone who's not made their peace with God, death can hold a lot of fear. Anyone who's not come to terms with God, sin, guilt, punishment, death, and hell is living in a dream world of denial. But those things, all of them, only hold fear for the person who continues to reject God. So let's just take stock of where we've got to, because we covered quite a lot of ground already. Number one, we are human and we are sinful. We do and think and say things that go against God's will for us. So we're human, we're sinful. That's number one. Number two, in his great love for us, Christ, who is God, became human with the express purpose of dying. 
Three, Jesus' death and subsequent resurrection rendered the devil powerless. Four, that means we no longer need to fear death. That's where we got to. The big question is, how does Jesus' death defeat the devil and remove our fear? Well, verse 17 helps us with this. It says, for this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. So the author, and uh, by the way, Hebrews is an anonymous letter. We don't know who wrote it. Uh, The author of Hebrews is using the language of the Old Testament. Uh, The Day of Atonement happened once a year. It was when the high priest sacrificed a goat on behalf of the people. So it's almost as if the whole nation's uh, sin and guilt was transferred onto this goat, and then the goat died instead of the people. Because we know from Romans 6, verse 23, that the wages of sin is death. The consequences of sin is death. But we also know that this, these sacrifices didn't work. Hebrews 10, verse 4 says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Those animal sacrifices that we read about in the Old Testament didn't take away anyone's sin. But with hindsight, we can see that they pointed forward to Jesus's atoning sacrifice, which works both ways through history. As John the baptizer said, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We've already seen that Jesus had to be fully human to die, but he also had to be fully God for his sacrifice to make a difference. Let me use an analogy. Uh, If you uh, came into my home and you got really cross about something, unjustifiably cross, and you deliberately broke an expensive vase. Uh, We don't have any expensive vases, but let's say we did. And you got you got really cross. You broke this expensive vase in my home. And I said, uh, well, I could say, it's okay. Don't worry about it. I forgive you. But that wouldn't fix the vase. For the damage uh, to be rectified, someone would have to pay for the vase. Now, there would be two options. Uh, You could pay for the vase, or I could pay for the vase. But let's just say that I'm a multi-billionaire. I'm not, uh, but just saying. (laughs) And the vase is worth $100 million dollars. Now, I'm I'm pretty sure that's out of the price range of anyone here today. If it's not, then please do build us a church. But (laughs) but let's say the vase was worth $100 million. So now there's only one option, because you can't pay for the vase. But if I'm a billionaire, I can. So I can pay for the vase. Now let's say that the broken vase is our sin and our wrongdoing. What have we got that could possibly pay for our rebellion against God? How could we ever make amends for sinning against a just and holy God? The answer is we can't. We, we can't do anything to avert the consequences of our sin. And as we've seen, the wages of sin is death. 
Only God can pay the price required. Only God can take the world's sin upon himself and bear the consequences for it. Ultimately, every sin is against God and every sin is atoned for by Jesus, who is himself God. We break the vase, God pays for it. In the Old Testament, the high priest uh, used to sacrifice a goat every year on the Day of Atonement. Jesus is the great high priest who has made atonement for us once and for all. It's not something that needs to be done every year. It's done. It's finished. Satan has been disarmed. The only lethal weapon that Satan can use against us is our sin. Satan's only means of destroying us is sin. The wonderful news of the gospel is that Jesus has already taken the punishment that we deserve. The curse of sin and death has been broken. It's been broken for you and for me, and all we need to do to, 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 to walk in the light of this blessing is to receive Jesus into our lives as our Lord and Savior. Satan can accuse us all he likes. He can say, call yourself a Christian. Look what you were just thinking. Do you, do you really think that God is going to accept you? And we can come straight back at him with Romans 8 verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Earlier, I quoted Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But that's only the first half of this verse. The second bit goes like this. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The wages of sin, sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So we have the darkness and the light in one passage. The darkness and fear of dying and being separated from God forever. And the light and hope that comes from accepting Jesus' free gift of forgiveness and everlasting life. And it's up to us which one we choose. As we continue to contemplate the wonder of the incarnation, let us remember that death holds no fear for those who know and love Jesus. Jesus has defeated death on our behalf, and he could only do that because he's fully human and fully God. He had to be fully human to die, and he had to be fully God to bear the weight of the world's sin. And being fully God, not even death could overcome him. Jesus rose to new and everlasting life, and he lives and reigns in glory now and forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, once again, we do thank you for the wonder of the incarnation. Uh, we thank you that, that you paid for the vase. You've dealt with our sin. You've died. You've paid the consequences that we deserve. And we pray that we'll, this will really sink in. That you're fully human, fully God, able to do that for us. We pray, Father, that we continue to worship you with our whole hearts, to give you our lives, every area of our lives holding nothing back. Fill us with faith, hope, and love this 
Advent and Christmas season. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.